It was a clear black night, a clear white moon when Reggie was on the streets trying to consume some skirts for the E so I could get some phones rolling in my ride, chilling all alone. Just hit the east side of the LBC on a mission trying to find Mr. Warren G. Seen a car full of girls, ain't no need to tweak. All of you search know what's up with 213. So I hooked a left on 21 and Lewis, some brothers shooting dice. So I said, let's do this. I jumped out the rock and said, what's up? Some brothers pulled some gas, so I said, I'm Since these girls peeping me, I'm gonna glide and swerve. These hookers looking so hard, they straight hit the curve. Want to bigger, better things than some horny tricks. I see my homie and some suckers all in his mix. I'm getting jacked, I'm breaking myself. I can't believe they taking Warren's wealth. They took my rings, they took my Rolex. I looked at the brother, said, damn, what's next? They got my homie hemmed up and they all around. Can't none of them see him if they going straight down for pound. They want to come up real quick before they start to clown. I best pull out my strap and lay them busters down. They got guns to my head. Got a bit I of G-Funk up down. on your power little Friday. Slight departure. Been a bit of a hip-hop week uh, this week. Heavy D and the boys Wednesday. Old duty bastard yesterday. Uh, but this is more of a slow jam. Warren G and Nate. Dog with regulate, let it slide nice and slow all over your Friday. What a delicious groove this is! By the way, the sample is uh, Michael McDonald's song I Keep Forgetting. It also samples Sign of the Times by Bob James and Let Me Ride by uh, Dr. Dre. A really big response regarding uh, painting your house, by the way. Uh, Linda says, the Truman Show is exactly the comment I made to my daughter in describing these modern house developments in Ponsonby. They look dead and boring. Reminds me also of that song about the houses. They all look like ticky-tacky, just the same. Wallace. My fireplace at my batch is surrounded by Bahutakawa paint. At home, we have a large outdoor wall colour, Vesuvius, bright orange. That's going a bit far, isn't it, orange? I mean, orange is a little, orange orange is a little bit far, far. yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, someone says, can I speak for colour? I really wanted to paint our two-storey a dark red, uh, looking beautiful amongst green. Seriously, there were multiple complaints. <gasps> yeah, uh, it's quite a big thing. A lot of people are saying that they want to, um, yeah, um, live the dream. Break out, and break, People want to break out, but they can't. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. Yeah. I, I saw a really amazing, actually, historical villa um, paint colour chart, you know, from Alto Paints. There's some amazing paints around, New Zealand mm. company. So mm. let's do it. Yep. Uh, I uh, totally agree with Anna's comments regarding Ponsonby. I moved from Ponsonby <laughs> in disgust at the Jones' pathetic attempts to mould each other. When this happens, a suburb no longer interests me. It's heart and soul, and origin- any originality is gone. I think that's a bit hard. That's a bit harsh. I love that suburb, and I just uh, don't live there, but just uh, you, you both are being a bit really... It's very sweet. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, my thoughts. Uh, Connor English and Adine with me. Just how the justice system should deal with children and teenagers remains a complex question. There has, of course, been a lot of focus on this in light of recent smash-and-grab burglaries and ram raids. Perpetrators are often young, very young. Still, some are saying that the age of 10 is just too young to be in court. The United Nations has criticised New Zealand being one of the countries for having an unacceptably low age of criminal responsibility. All fine, but how do we balance that with accountability? Frankie Vaughan is running a campaign on the age of criminal responsibility, and Frankie's a comms advisor for Amnesty International. Also, Frankie, kia ora. Good to have you on the panel. Kia ora. Thank you so much for having me here. So the Crimes Act set at the age of 10 years. How long has it been? It's been that for quite some time, hasn't it? 
It has. So the minimum age of criminal responsibility was set in 1961. And I think it's fair to say a lot has changed in that time. Um, And most importantly, in, in 2019, the United Nations Committee for the Rights of the Child set an international human rights standard of at least 14 years old as being the recommended minimum age of criminal responsibility. So New Zealand, not only has our law been sticking around for 60 years, but it's now four years younger than that international human rights standard. Yeah, uh, uh, when you think about it, when you talk about it, 10 years, 10 years of age, it does feel a bit young. So you're from Scotland originally, am I right, Frankie? I am indeed. I grew up in Glasgow. Okay, so what's the age there? Scotland has raised its age of criminal responsibility to 12. That law was introduced right. in 2019. Um, but it, it part of the, the Act, um, which raised the age from 8, in fact, to 12, uh, recommended that the Scottish Government review that legislation in three years' time. And I'd love to see Scotland, as well as New Zealand, get in line with those international human rights standards. Because at the moment, both countries are failing to do right by their kids. Interesting. I don't know that Anna and Connor will bring them, but I guess, and the issue here is, I suppose, Frankie, that, you know, once you're in the court system, it can be quite difficult extricating yourself from it, can't you? Can't it? Absolutely, yeah. There's been some really shocking research recently that shows that young people who go through the youth justice system are more likely to commit crimes as adults than children who are supported through other means. And actually, in the long term, criminalising children at such a young age, particularly at such a developmental age, really risks setting them up for an ongoing life of crime, which deprives them of their future and it deprives society of potentially flourishing members. All right, let's go to uh, Connor first on this one. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you've got <clears throat> um, you've got to protect the public from people who are committing crimes, and you know, with these smash and grab things, as an example, um, you do need some accountability for individuals, you know, for their own behaviour. And, and I guess when you're a minor, you know, where do the parents uh, and support people fit in? But you also want to realise the potential of kids, and and everyone does do stupid things, don't they? And so. Um, you know, we do have some existing processes, don't we, where you can sort of do an alternative um, justice or whatever you call it, that you don't yeah. go through the criminal system. Isn't that a well-used pathway now, even though these uh, the criminal age might be mm. 10? It is a, a well-used pathway, but the, the fact remains that there is still a risk that kids as young as 10 or 11 could be put through a criminal process and that is extremely harmful to that child and and really does risk setting them up for an ongoing life of causing harm to others. Mm. So we're calling for the government to to raise the age because there are now international human rights standards that suggest it should be at least four years older than it currently is. But but we're calling for the government to do this in a two-step process because we actually recognise that there is a lot of work to be done to establish an alternative system to to be able to effectively support and um, take care of young ch- children younger than 14. Yes. Uh, and that system should make sure, of course, that there is accountability, that there are consequences, and that there are adequate protection for, for victims too. So we think the government can, in- can raise the age to 12 immediately, 
uh, and then that would galvanise uh, more work to be done to create that alternative system that, as we said, could better care for those young children. What do you reckon, I'll keep going, Connor. Oh, no, I was just going to say, the sense you get is that some of these kids have been exploited by... Uh, older people in their in their in their environments who are using them because they are under the age of, um, you know, going to prison or whatever, and using them as pawns in their own sort of crime crime rings. Um, I don't know how mm. you stop that. Oh no, it's really shocking. But um, in 2018, for example, there was some data that found that of the um, of the 118 children aged 10 to 13 who were referred to a, a youth justice um, family group conference. 115 of those had a report of concern to Oranga Tamariki about their care and protection. Right. So the vast majority of children who are interacting with the with the justice system have had a negative childhood experience uh, prior to their criminal behaviour. So there absolutely needs to be upstream efforts to address the underlying causes of criminal behaviour. Okay, talking about uh, talking about um, the Crimes Act set at the age of 10 years in Aotearoa, uh, and should we, like other countries, move to, say, 12 or 14, actually? Um, what do you reckon, Anna? Oh, it seems like a no-brainer. That's terribly outdated. 60-year-old legislation. Where do I sign? Is there a petition or something? <laughs> there is. You've got a support already. Yes. <laughs> uh, could, yeah, keep going. Well, Amnesty International Aotearoa New Zealand does indeed have a petition calling on Justice Minister um, Kiri Allen to uh, follow through on what's actually been a Labour commitment now for three years to consider raising the age. Um, New Zealand was reviewed under the UN Universal Periodic Review of Human Rights, and we were found to be falling short of those international human rights standards of having a minimum age of at least 14. And in response to that, the government at the time said that they would consider raising it and they were looking to Australia, actually, as an example of what um, of, of what they might do. And actually, Australia is starting to raise its age. Different territories have uh, taken a different response, but the um, uh, Tasmania, for example, has recently committed to raising their age from 10 to 14. So you can add okay. your voice to our petition, absolutely. Good on you. I see that it's 14 in Germany, 15 in Sweden, 16 Portugal, 18 Luxembourg, and yeah, 10 years old here. Interesting stuff, mm-hmm. Frankie. Kia ora. Thanks for your time. Um, uh, Frankie Vaughan is running a campaign on the age of criminal responsibility here. The Crimes Act sets the age at 10. Uh, your thoughts on this? You can email me, actually. We might come back to it next week. Uh, the panel at rnz.co.nz. Meanwhile, uh, house painting... Amazing. So much response there on house painting after almost 20 years in bright and lively central Wellington, suburbs like Ara Valley, Newtown. I agreed to house sit in Upper Hutt for a year. What a mistake. I rode out there, walked around endless blocks of white cream beige, blah, 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 blah. I thought I'd made a huge mistake. Happy to return to the city. Although, Wallace, I'm so with you. Half cake white, quarter tea, villa white, basin reserve cream. Lovely. Mm. Lovely. 15 to 5, the panel. Christmas is, love it or hate it, just over a month away, and it's been the year of inflation, hasn't it? So there'll be many looking with dread at Christmas preparations, or at least thinking of ways they can make their dollar go farther. A Trade Me survey found 
the majority of Kiwis planning to cut costs this Christmas as inflation bites. So is there a way to get your bang for buck? A one choice of meat, not three. Or mine, decorations made from toilet rolls. That's my one. Uh, you a bit of gl- you rolled it in glitter, fun for the family, a couple of googly eyes. With me, Trades Me spokesperson Millie Sylvester. Kia ora, Millie. Kia ora. I guess it's not too much of a surprise, is it? It's affecting almost everyone, huh? It really is. And I think, you know, it's a really sad um, time yeah. of year when you think about it. Christmas yep. is all about coming together. Um, and, you know, this survey really showed that Kiwi are having to make changes to how they celebrate with loved ones this year. What are people cutting back on? Yeah, so the two main areas that Kiwi told us they were going to be cutting costs on were presents and travel. And I think the most interesting thing that we found this year, we run the survey every year, was a real step change in the number of Kiwi who are going to be purchasing pre-owned presents, so second-hand. Um, 56% said they'd be buying at least some of their presents second-hand this year, which is a re- you know a, a big increase when we look at previous years. Yeah, you know. I think that's fantastic. I actually, um, my family are well uh, accustomed to me buying secondhand presents for them. I put the time in, I think about it, or I get them books, and that's that's what I do. I mean, there's so much crap around. Children don't need any more plastic rubbish that's just going to be used for one day or the afternoon and then chucked out. Yeah, no, secondhand all the way for me. Um, I have you been doing that for a while? Yeah, uh, yeah, I have been doing that for quite a while. What do you do? Do you go to a vintage shop and yeah? I just look around my local op shops and, you know, something will stand out for each family got member. Me inspired. And, oh, it's really fun, actually. Mm. It, um, it's, it's much more interesting than giving some crappy stuff that they mm. don't want. Or books is my other recommendation. Stay there, Millie. Let's bring Connor English in. Uh, well, I suppose if you're looking for second hand, you go to Trade Me. I guess that's part of, a, part of the survey, isn't it? To understand where you can go and get you know, second hand stuff. So I think that's a great idea doing second hand stuff. But what we tend to do is useful stuff like undies and socks, and um, <laughs> yeah. and then you know the odd book on top of that. But I think it's getting well. Hopefully, it's getting less commercial. Christmas, you know, the idea that you have okay. to spend a whole lot of money to have a happy Christmas um, has never really gelled with me. To be honest, mm. I think it is about just getting together, having some meal, you know, having a meal together, and um, you know, socialising together Good as idea. a family. Good on you, Connor. Kia ora. Yeah, uh, as 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 once as as it was once said, your presence may be the best present. Um, mm. You know. So uh, what's a what's a take home message here, Millie? Don't feel ashamed by cutting back any way you can. It could it could even be around a meal. It could be like a bring bring BYO. It could be at the beach. What whatever fits for you. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's so many ways that you can cut costs. You know, for example, like so many families now do Secret Santa where you actually only buy one present for Mm. one person rather than, you know, trying to to buy something for everybody and then everyone feeling a little bit financially stressed. Um, There's there's so many ways that you can do it, whether it's secondhand or or Secret Santa or maybe even making something homemade. You know, there's, there's so many options and I think a lot of Kiwi are having to to really think hard about, um, you know, how much they are spending this year. And it's not surprising after the year that we've had, um, but it's also a really sustainable way, you know, of um, of gifting too. So there's a lot of benefits when you think about it. Very good. Millie Sylvester there, who is the Trade Me spokesperson on... 
Yes, the high costs this time around Christmas. I must, I must admit I was quite surprised uh, at the response I got regarding um, bright-coloured houses. Um, um, I'm in Mangafai Heads. I had my house painted red also 10 years ago. Nobody has said they didn't like it. A lot have said they do. I don't worry about what people think. Um, and, and then we said, okay, red, all right, but who to cover red, fine. You've got your black houses, okay, but trendy. Um, is there a colour that's a bit too much? Is there a colour that will go, actually, that is wrong? That is, is inappropriate. What about orange? Would you live next to an orange house? Then I had a text, and it's from Wendy. Welcome to the panel, Wendy. Hello. What colour is your house? Oh, boring. <laughs> it needs painting, but it won't be painted boring next time. What will it be painted? I'm not sure, but I do like bright oranges and reds and things like that on houses. Oh, you it do? Brightens up the neighbourhood. Yeah, yes. and, and whereabouts do you live? I'm in Hayes Paddock in Hamilton East. Oh, I, I know Hayes Paddock. That's that, that's that wondrous state house area, isn't it, where you've got those beautiful, beautiful um, historically preserved state homes? That's right, yeah. Oh, I'm envious. I've always wanted to live there. <laughs> I can hear the birds in the background yeah, as well. It I lovely. love your area. And you've got that wonderful cafe, Hayes Common, is that right? That's right. And the house, the orange house, is opposite the cafe. So, of course, when the painters were there painting this bright orange house, they got a bit of stick from, from various people walking by and sort of saying, why would anybody do it? But yeah. now, everybody's got used to it and people just say, oh, it actually looks great. How interesting. So even a orange house can work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you been to Hayes, uh, no, Hayes Paddock? It's very, very cool. Can I just uh, can we give you a shout-out, Wendy, for your area? Because people just come and have a look at your area, don't they? They do, because it's one of the little enclaves of significant state housing history. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And if anybody Googles. Hayes Paddock, Hamilton East, they would they would find that out. It's yeah, when it's... I first moved here, we had the action group trying to stop them taking the houses out. So a lot of them, you know, were put on hold. Now we've got heritage precinct down here, so no more houses taken No, out. thanks to the action group, people are actually bussing to Hayes Paddock to have a look at your area. It's quite extraordinary, and I highly recommend anyone to go and have a look because it is, if, you, if you're a state house lover of that particular architecture, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's really something to go and have a look at. Hey, Wendy, kia ora. Thanks for listening. And it's a, and it's a lovely neighbourhood. <laughs> oh, to boot. Wonderful. Thank you. All right, the panel. Now, finally... Something equally joyous. This weekend is your last chance to enjoy the wonderful Taranaki Garden Festival. It's been running since the 28th of October, but there is one new feature that's got everyone talking. That is a garden tour designed specifically for people who are blind or with low vision. The festival teamed up with staff from the Pukiariki Museum who have experienced designing audio descriptions of artworks to make it happen. So we have Chanel Carrick, who's the pictorial curator. Chanel, kia ora. Kia ora. I found this interesting. A garden tour for people with low vision or blind. And at first thought, I thought, well, how will that work? But then I thought, 
there are many ways it can work. Explain it for us. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it was the first time um, that we've ever done it. It's the first time that the Centuria Tanaki Gan Festival has run an audio descriptor of any kind. So we didn't really know either uh, how it was going to go. We prepared um, some content for each of the five gardens that we visited with different focuses. So we thought about the architecture in the spaces, we thought about uh, the environment moving through the spaces, and then we looked specifically at some of the plants and trees in those spaces. But of course, we can't sort of predict what people are going to be drawn to, what they're going to be interested in, oh. um, and and what questions they're going to have. So it was sort of a mixture of prepared material and then a mixture of really responding to the needs um, of the visitors that we were with. Yeah, it was fantastic. Pretty cool, Anna. I think it's fantastic. Mm. I really liked in the article about it that it said that the the people who were leading had to describe the garden like describing an artwork, and I thought, oh, that would be so difficult. Um, and what kind of response have you had? Chanel? A really, really fantastic response. Um, We've had some really lovely feedback from the people who were on the tour with us and for us as audio describers as well it's been a really wonderful experience because it's given us such a great opportunity to learn um, sort of on the fly as we go. Uh, People are really excited about it and there was lots of chatter on the bus about, oh we could do this next time or we could do some of the sustainable gardens or we could um, you know, they, we even joked about doing a, uh, an audio described tour to some of the garden centres, some of the stores, so that we can oh, yes. start shopping on the way. Um, and I know that Taft Tanaki Art Festival Trust that are responsible for the garden festival. They are really excited about taking this forward into the future and, and doing more of this sort of thing. Do around the country, eh, Connor? You'd be on board with this. Isn't it lovely, Connor, that, you know, just a little <clears throat> something like this, making society just a bit better? Yeah, I think it's a fantastic idea, and I mean, it's great being in amongst nature and in gardens. And I've been to the gardens in New Plymouth. Yeah, it was a while ago, mm-hmm. and a gorgeous garden. So if people can have a sensory experience of it and, and have uh, talented people um, uh, like our uh, person on the on the interview here, um, that is brilliant. Can you give us an example of how you might describe uh, a patch of the garden, be it your freesias? Mm-hmm. Or, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really lovely to have those objects or those those plants and those trees in front of you because a big part of a live audio described tour, as opposed to, say, re- pre-recording a, a tour of um, or a description of a painting, for example, is that you can actually encourage people to put their hand out and touch things. So, for example, if we were looking at a small acer, a maple tree, mm-hmm. you know, you could encourage someone to put their hand out and touch the leaves and and explain the fact that the leaves are feathery and that they come up from the central um, trunk of the tree and fan out an umbrella. Um, Then you can talk about colour, so you could talk about the really deep, rich purple um, or burgundy, if it's one of the red aces, um, which I think in in one of my audio descriptions uh, in the garden, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was a a very good Merlot wine. It's a very equivalent colour. So you're always thinking about those different experiences. Jack says there's a wonderful sensory garden for the vision impaired in Sydney, Wallace. Such smells and textures. And let's not forget the aromas. Let's not, I mean, mm. you know, honestly, uh, so such richness in that as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we would often respond to the way that the visitors move through a space and think about what they're actually responding to and then go into a description based on that. So people would be moving through a garden and then they'd literally be stopped in their tracks by the scent um, of something. I think one of the really strong ones is the, the port wine magnolia, which has these tiny, tiny flowers, but the most insane kind of mixes like caramel and vanilla. It sort of smells like kind of like... Juicy fruit chewing gum, it's the craziest smell. And so you respond to that yeah. and you, you then take your time to explain what that flower is and what that tree is and let people um, really hopefully have a much deeper experience and understand what it is that they're experiencing in the environment. Oh, I love a good garden tour. I love a good <laughs> garden too. tour. You know, I dream of it. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Chanel Karakura, thanks for uh, being with us. Uh, that is uh, the sensory experience at Taranaki Garden Festival there. A- a- and you'd be you'd be a gardener par excellence, wouldn't you, Connor? Uh, I wouldn't uh, classify myself oh. as that. No. Uh, but I do enjoy having my hands in the soil. You do? And it is quite satisfying when you see things grow. Um, but my father-in-law, he had about 500 roses, and, and he could name the Latin names of, of every every rose in the garden so some people really really do get into it don't they and that's what you grew up with just like hordes of roses around the property well that was my father-in-law so um yeah and and some of those roses were were, uh, had amazing uh smells and some amazing colors so it's um yeah no it's fascinating very nice lovely to have you both what color is your house by the way anna someone wants to know it's got a yellow roof and it's gray We'll talk more about that next time you're on. I want to know more. And, okay. Anna Dean and Connor English. Lovely weekend to all of you. Happy 10th anniversary, Tabitha. I'm Wallace Chapman. Thanks, Sam. Checkpoint next.